Good morning. Excited to uh, be here this week, excited for uh, Vacation Bible School, but bear in mind, Vacation Bible School is not the only thing in the world going on. There are still other things that the church is doing, other things that kids in the church are doing, and of course, camp is, is one of those. Uh, we uh, would prefer that all the camps around the state contact us first uh, to determine when they're going to have their weeks. Uh, but they don't do that, strangely enough. Um, so, you know, kids partake of that as well, and I don't blame them. There's a small window where you can do that, and it's a lot of fun. So some of the kids are going to be at uh, uh, camp this week, and so why don't we just have the kids out there? Hey, there's a few. Let me just, let me just mention the names. Some are here, some are already gone. Uh, Hendrix Eversole, Maddie Ham. Uh, I lost my place already. Nate Hoffman, Aaliyah France, Kara France, Reed Varner, Gunnar Bergman, and Ian Ano. Hey, here we go. We got one. Come on up. And, and I'll tell you, all of these camps, you're going to Camp Wesley, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up here. So you can be hanging out with Ashley. Ashley will be there. All these camps, you know, are a little bit, uh, a little bit different. You know, they have their... Um, their uh, different places and their different forms and their different styles of how they uh, how they run camp. They have different staffs from different churches that come in and help uh, teach the kids and uh, help them enjoy their week. But every one of these, I was talking to Lynn about this one time. It's a different subject, but same kind of idea. Every one of these camps has one goal in mind, and that is to honor Jesus Christ, uh, to claim, to teach that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, there's a lot of things we, we know, there's a lot of things we learn in life, uh, but that's the most important thing. It all boils down to whether or not we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He died to save us. And so all of these camps, I think, are just wonderful to be a part of. What do you think? Are you going to have a good time? Yeah. You think so? All right, I hope so. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we just thank You so much. We thank you. We, we thank you for Ian. We thank you for everybody going to camp. We thank you for all the, the opportunity and the love that you show. We thank you, Father, that they have this this ability and this gift to surround themselves by people who love kids and also love Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that uh, Jesus is shown uh, at these various camps in these kids' lives, Father. And we thank you that uh, they get the chance to not just experience. Uh, some, some, some wonderful gifts from Jesus, but also to be able to show that, to express that to other people. And so that's what we ask, Father, that, that these camps and, and the, the, the fun things that we do and the times that we have, um, that we gain knowledge through that. But then we understand that we must use that knowledge properly uh, to give us the opportunity to be, to show who Jesus is in people's lives around us. And so we ask for, we ask to be taught, we ask for this understanding. We also ask uh, for fun and for safety. I know it's hard to ask both of those at the same time, uh, but that's what we ask for. So we ask that you provide safety for everybody going to camp. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, man. Have a good time. All right. See you in a week. Are you going for a week? Yeah. All right. Have fun. If I get bored, I'll come out and see you, all right? Just hang out. Well, I am, uh, again, I'm excited about Vacation Bible School. We, we've spent a lot of time 
preparing for it, planning for it. Um, you guys have seen, no doubt, the styrofoam castle in the foyer, and uh, hopefully that'll be fun for the kids. And it's going to get destroyed, by the way, right? 150 kids, a styrofoam castle. That's not going to last, okay? So let it happen. That's just the way it goes. Uh, that's, why, uh, that's why we're doing that. Um, I, I think the majority of people, if they're going to be honest, uh, like things easy, okay? And I, I don't know if everybody would admit that, but most people like it when something is just easy, right? Uh, you know, Jeremy came out and got some, some metal from our house. We had a bunch of metal at our house the other day. He came out and got, we, we were away. We ended up going to Cincinnati. Came back and it was gone. And I thought, boy, that was easy. That was easy. At least easy for me, right? And it was all, all gone and taken care of and, you know, out of there. And I just thought, boy, that's just one more thing, at least in my life, that seemed easy. And I think most of us, if we think about it, we like it when it's just smooth, when it works the way we want. And why? Because the majority of things in life are hard. The majority of life is pretty difficult. Now, bear in mind, that's rather subjective. Uh, you know, my uh, difficult or my hard is not the same as, you know, somebody, uh, you know, on the other side of the world, maybe in an oppressed nation or an oppressed country or something like that, that has a hard time, takes their life into their own hands, believing in Jesus. Let's, let's keep things in perspective. But the majority of life can be very, very difficult. And so when it's time for ease and comfort, uh, I think we embrace that. I know I'm not the only person in this room that has thought at one point or another, this is a lot harder than it has to be. Or why can't it just be easier? Uh, my favorite is this. Boy, it would just be a lot easier if everybody just do what I'd say when I'd say to do it and how I'd say to do it. Why can't we just do that, right? And everybody has those thoughts at one time or another. It does make you wonder, why is everything so difficult? Why is the majority of life hard? Why does it require this type of effort? Why does it require sometimes some danger, sometimes some risk? Why does it require putting so much in various situations on the line? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We ask, Father, that you help us today to realize the importance of trust in you. We ask, Father, that you help to keep us true and accurate to your word in all ways and all times. Help us, Father, to, to share, to know the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I appreciated John's words, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. This is what we gain on Sunday morning. We gain knowledge. Sunday school classes, we gain knowledge. Over this past uh, series, we've gained knowledge. Uh, really, our challenge then is what are we going to do with that in our own lives and how are we going to apply this armor mentality in our lives? That's the wisdom part. That's the wisdom part. And sometimes wisdom comes through trial and error. Uh, but certainly we want to be able to apply the lessons that we have learned. And he's also right in saying that this is not an exhaustive list. It was never meant to be an exhaustive list. There's a lot of things in life that we can acquire, that we can, that we can strengthen, that we can pursue that make us stronger, make our hearts stronger, our minds stronger, even our emotions stronger, 
the more and more we give our lives, the more and more we give our minds, the more and more we give our desires uh, over to Jesus Christ to form us, construct us, and build us up into what He wants us to be, the stronger we become. In Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the various pieces of armor. We started with the belt of truth, the belt of truth. And church, if, if we don't have the belt of truth, then none of this other stuff makes any difference. If we're tossed back and forth on the waves, then none of this stuff makes a difference. If we don't believe and understand and stand up for and live and pursue the truth of Jesus Christ in our lives. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus is real. And if Jesus is real, then he means everything or he means nothing. You've got to come to that decision in your life. If Jesus is real, the Word of God means everything or it means nothing. It's just foolishness. It's He's either Lord or He's a liar. One of the two. So if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son, He means everything or He means nothing. And if He means everything, then the belt of truth forces us, demands that we live out that truth in our life. We saw the belt of truth. We also saw the breastplate of righteousness and the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. This breastplate of righteousness is the pursuit of righteousness in our lives. And the pursuit of righteousness needs help. It needs strengthened. It's a resolution of the mind to look at the character of Jesus Christ and say to ourselves, that's how I want to be defined. Those are the things I'm pursuing in this life. That's the pursuit of righteousness. And this righteous standing we have with God gives us peace with God. John talked a little bit about evangelism. That's what that is. Telling others about the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, or Ephesians 6 verse 16, Paul goes on to say, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the way, we're going to finish with the sword of the Spirit on August 1st. Today, I want to look at the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. I want to be able to pack both of these into one message. Um, much like, incidentally, uh, when we ordered shirts, uh, they're a little tight, okay? I'm kind of packed. I think it was a defective shirt. That's what I think. Um, you get packed in there sometimes, all right? Hopefully, we'll be able to stretch this one out. But I want to be able to get both of these subjects into this message. The shield of faith is simply this, trusting God. Trusting God. Trusting Jesus with your life. Trusting the commands of God. Trusting the promises of God. Trusting the truth, the reality of God and who God is. Trusting that God works for your good and for His glory. That's what the shield of faith is. It is trusting the Word of God, the very sword by your side. The shield of faith is trusting in the character of God. Character of God is good, it is righteous, it is noble, it is peaceful, it is strong. The shield of faith is trusting that God knows what is best and that we often don't. It is trust that Jesus saves us and Jesus alone. And this trust in God can be harder to keep than we think. 
You see, Satan uses fiery arrows, fiery arrows of doubt, fiery arrows of frustration, fiery arrows of discouragement, fiery arrows of fatigue in our lives. You know, we started really kind of this whole message a long time ago, earlier on this year, with this this idea, this truth of justified by faith. And that's what the letter to the Galatians is all about. We have been justified, made righteous by God, we have peace with God, and now we have to trust God for our good and our salvation. When Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, he's not writing to unsaved people. He's writing to saved people, those who have been introduced to Jesus. You've been introduced to Jesus. He's writing to those who are under attack from doubt, under attack from temptations of the flesh, under attack from fear and frustration and uncertainty and the like. So the shield must be taken up and put in place, and the helmet must be secured. You know, the knights of the Middle Ages carried shields basically for two reasons. Number one, they carried larger shields in hand-to-hand combat in order to help guard them from the opponent's sword. If you want a good example of that, read Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus is in the wilderness battling Satan. But they carried a smaller shield when they were jousting. And the reason they did that was to absorb the blow of the opponent's lance. And if they were going to do that, they had to trust the shield. Yes, I understand that they have a breastplate of armor. But church, without trusting Jesus, without trusting the Word, without applying it to our lives, how strong do you think that breastplate's going to be? How long do you think that's going to last until it starts to crack? I've seen it crack in my own life. I've seen it crack in people's lives all the time. This pursuit of righteousness, pursuit of righteousness, until it gets really difficult. And then if our shield is not in place, our trust is not in place, the breastplate begins to crack, doesn't it? All of a sudden we realize this pursuit of righteousness is a little harder than we thought. Especially when things don't go our way. How effective are we going to be be even with a breastplate of righteousness without a shield of faith? And perhaps maybe we hit on the issue, or at least a issue. We are justified and we are made righteous. But now, now it's time to tighten the belt, take up the shield, and actually stand in battle. Now it's time to even advance in battle. See, this is so very important, these shields that protect us, the shields of this trust in God, because your shield of trust, you know, I look at families, I, I, I look at moms and dads, and your shield of trust does not just protect you, you realize that. It's built to protect you and those around you. You got that shield picture up there, you've probably seen this picture before, I think we've used this before. This is the type of shield that Paul's thinking of as he writes about the shield. This faith in God, this trust in God protects your family and your friends, your church. It was designed to be this impenetrable wall. It protected the user, but it also protected others. This was an advance of this Greek phalanx you've heard about. You want to know how, in all seriousness, you want to know how the Romans were so powerful? You want to know how they conquered the world? That picture right there, that's it. They, they moved as one unit, as one body, because their shield not only protected them, but it protected those around them. 
They trusted it. They had faith in it. And that's just a thing. And yet they were able to conquer. But not just the shield. You'll notice all of them, even though they have shields, they have helmets as well. The helmet must be in place. The helmet must be secure. You see, that's the thing. The helmet is the primary target in battle. If you could, in a joust, if you could hit the head of the opposing uh, 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 rider, that almost certainly meant immediate victory. On the battlefield, both in medieval times and in Roman times, if you, got a, if you took a blow to the body, it hurt. Sometimes it was dangerous, but sometimes it meant recovery. But if you took a blow to the head, that was death. That was it. You know, Paul refers to this helmet as trusting in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's the helmet that means life or death. We either believe that Jesus saves us or we don't. We either believe that Jesus can save us or we don't. And if we reject that, then we reject life. The helmet had to be secure. In fact, an insecure helmet, flopping and turning and twisting, all of this doubt that enters into our mind, it actually made the soldier less effective than no helmet at all. If a helmet didn't sit securely, then the soldier could not see. It's as if their eyes were not opened. Not only were they getting attacked by their opponent, they were fighting their own head. This has to be a certainty. That's why salvation and faith go hand in hand. Perhaps it's easy to have salvation on Sunday morning. Look at how size. Beautiful day. We just got done singing songs, listening to the preacher. Darn good message. But what about in the midst of battle? You see, that's where it really matters. Our faith, our shield, our helmet matters in the midst of battle. You know, we can set someone or something up like a prop on a Sunday morning. But this is made out of styrofoam. I guarantee you take this onto the battlefield, it's not going to last long. You don't believe me? Watch what happens to this castle over the past week or next week. What happens when you take the step to follow Jesus and actually step out onto the battlefield? Because I know, church, I know there are people in this congregation right now, right now, right here, that have had their shield tested. What happens when your shield of faith is actually tested? Sometimes we fail even on Sunday mornings. Guys, it's not a hand-to-hand combat, all right? This is not a person-to-person battle. What does Jesus say? Our bat- or what does Paul say? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a test of self. It's the battle that rages in the self. You know, Jesus and Satan in Matthew chapter 4 were out fighting. They weren't fighting hand-to-hand. They were fighting heart-to-heart. That's how it works. Is your shield secure? We have a great example today where one very well-known knight drops his shield. In fact, he's dropped his shield a couple of times if you look at his life. But then once again, Jesus reaches out and saves this knight. Our story starts in Matthew chapter 14. You can turn there. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is teaching and preaching to 5,000 people all at once. And Matthew even says that that's just counting the men. That's not counting the women and children. And so maybe we can see 10,000 people standing there. The point is, there's a lot of people. Jesus is teaching all day long and they run out of food. 
the disciples say, the disciples go to Jesus and tell him, hey, why don't you send all these people away so that they can find food? In other words, send them away to fend for themselves. But Jesus tells his disciples, no, you give them something to eat. Now, there's a lesson just in that. We can have a message just in that, but that's not our lesson today. They looked around, searched through the crowd, and all they found were five loaves of bread and two fish from apparently the only boy who brought a lunch out of 10,000 people. I, I don't know his mother, but his mother deserves a medal. She was the one lady that said, make sure you pack a lunch. At least he was prepared when he was in the presence of Jesus. There's a whole lesson in that, but that's not the lesson today. He gave his lunch over to Jesus, and Jesus did something miraculous with it. There's a whole lesson in that, but that's not the lesson today. Jesus said, that's enough, and he miraculously feeds all of these people with this scant meal. And this is what we may call Sunday morning faith. All of these people were hearing about Jesus. They were hearing from Jesus. They were fed, they were relaxing, they were happy, they were listening and watching Jesus perform miracles. What a great day. I'll tell you, when he performed that miracle, it might be easy for us to look at Jesus and say, I can trust this guy. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 24, immediately, that is once he was done teaching, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while Jesus dismissed the crowd. And that was going to take a while. He's got to shake all the hands, right? He's dismissing the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat that had the disciples in it was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You know, we've been talking about going into battle with this armor but we have to ask one question. Do you maintain your armor? Do you maintain it? Everything we have needs maintenance, including the armor of Jesus Christ. Jesus went up by himself on a mountainside to pray alone. What was Jesus doing? He was maintaining his armor. See, what we don't understand sometimes, or maybe we just don't believe, is that Jesus, the man, has the very same armor that's given to you and me, crafted by the same doggone guy. The same armor you have is the same armor Jesus wears. One of the big differences, though, is you see this in the life of Jesus. He is always maintaining his armor. He is always in prayer. He's always in fasting. He's always in study. So that when it's time to go to battle, he knows his armor's ready to go. When was the last time you spent time maintaining it? Forget about battle. When was the last time you took time to maintain your armor? I got to get this thing out. I got to shine it up. I got to oil it. I got to get this ready to go. Jesus maintains his armor as much as he goes into battle. He maintains his armor as much as he's teaching other people. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus often went, often went off by himself to pray. To spend these times with just him and the Father maintaining this armor. Every time Jesus went into battle, he maintained his armor. 
And we have the very same armor. I wonder why our armor, I wonder why my armor doesn't work as strongly as Jesus's does. You know, I, I, I remember years ago, and I've, I've, I know I've told this story before, but it just stuck out. It, it, it just burned into my brain. I was getting ready to golf one time, and I was out on the driving range getting ready, you know, making an embarrassment of the game of golf. That's, that's what I do. Uh, you can golf with me if in your backswing you wish the golf ball good luck because you have no idea where it's going to go, right? You wish the other players good luck. You wish the people on the other hole good luck. You know, you're yelling for before you even strike the ball, right? Because you have no idea where this thing's going. And so I'm out there making, just making a fool of myself trying to get ready, and, and the club pro walks by, and we get to talking, and he said, uh, he said, well, how you doing out here? And I said, well, not Not good. Not good. And I do what every red-blooded American does when I can't get it right. I blame the equipment, you know. Apparently, this, is, this, this club's not for me, right? This bag's not for me. And I will just always remember this as long as I live. He says, you mind if I see that club? And I, hand, I was foolish enough to give him the club. And he tees off and just rockets this ball straight down the fairway. And without even looking, I would just, I would just always remember, without even looking, he's watching his ball, he hands the club back to me, and he says, looks like it works fine to me. Keeps walking. Guys, Jesus has the same armor you have. You know that, right? Constructed by the same spirit, the same strength, the same power, the same ability. We talk, we sing the same power song, whichever one that one is. We have to make sure we maintain the equipment. That's what Jesus is doing. Matthew 14, 25 through 26, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You know, because why not, right? Isn't that just one of the greatest things, one of the greatest guarantees, one of these greatest moments where Jesus says, I am the God of creation. I can stride across the lake. I can stride upon the water. He's walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. And frankly, I don't blame them. You know, we, we have 2,000 years of reading this story. Some of us have a lifetime of hearing this story and accepting it as reality. But to the disciples, remember, they're living through this in real time. And so, frankly, a ghost being out there is just about the most logical explanation you can come up with. It's not rational, but it's a pretty logical explanation. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Notice, Jesus attempts to calm them by revealing what? Not that they're out of danger, but revealing that He is in their presence. You don't have to be scared, Jesus says, because I'm here. It's me walking out. It's the one who loves you, the one who saves you, the one who teaches you. It is the God of creation in your present. Take courage, Jesus says, I'm here. He doesn't do anything about the wind and the waves. The more immediate concern right now is the mind and the heart. The more immediate concern that Jesus wants to address in these disciples' lives and your life as well is the fear or response to the condition rather than the condition itself. And so he says, don't be afraid because I'm here. It's something we think about all the time, something we tell our kids. Don't be afraid. Jesus is there. What does Jesus say in the latter chapters of John? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
In fact, he says, I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the counselor, the advocate to live life with you. Verses 28 and 29, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, this is better translated, since it is you. Since it is you, tell me to come out onto the water. And once again, church, I I tell you, I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. Once again, many nights start out like this. They start out with excitement. They start out with commitment. They start out even willing to take a little risk. And you have to hand it to Peter. With all the mistakes and all the trouble that Peter gets into and all the ways in which he messes up, it was Peter that was willing to step out of the boat, right? It was Peter that was willing to get out and take the risk. There are so many knights unwilling to even go to the field of battle. There are so many knights unwilling to step out of the boat, to make the commitment. Oh, we love Monday morning quarterbacking, don't we? We love sitting in the stands while the knights are jousting. Well, I would have done it that way, or he shouldn't have done that. You know, it's funny. I didn't see you in the trenches. I didn't see you go out there, suit up, and joust. We can come down as hard as we want on Peter. We can come down as hard as we want on a lot of people that mess up and make mistakes. But he's the kind of knight that gets out of the boat, that makes the commitment, that says, look, I'm going to pursue righteousness. Yeah, I'm going to screw up along the way, but I'm going to pursue righteousness. Jesus calling Peter answering. You know, Satan waits on the battlefield. There's a lot of knights that don't even show up. You know what that is? That's victory for Satan by forfeit. That's what it is. There are knights that don't even think about humility, service, sacrifice, self-control, and the like. That's Satan's victory by our forfeit. At least Peter got out of the boat. We can live our whole lives in a church pew and never get out of the boat. You know, like the parable of the Good Samaritan a couple weeks ago, we're just playing dress up at some point. Peter steps out of the boat, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. As happens so many times in life, often our finest hour follows our worst moment. That's happened multiple times in my life, it seems. It may, has ha- may have happened in yours. Peter was quite literally, what, stepping out of the boat, trusting Jesus, stepping out on faith, and it's not what he expected. That's what happens when we trust Jesus. Sometimes it is simply not what we expect. He realizes now that he's in the midst of battle, he realizes his danger. He also realizes the power of his foe, here being the sea. He does something that, church, you can never do in the midst of battle if you want to be victorious. He stopped looking at Jesus and instead was consumed by the danger. He stopped focusing on Christ and was focusing more on himself. He stopped focusing on the creator of the waves and began focusing on the fear and danger from the waves. He was focusing on the noise around him rather than the whisper of the Spirit. He went from trust to doubt. 
Well, once again, let's not be too hard on Peter, right? I still respect Peter. And why? Because he got out of the boat. He got out of the boat. So that's the low point. That's the low point. And Peter had a lot of low points in his life. What's the high point? When he cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of battle and that shield begins to falter, that shield begins to stop, and all of a sudden we look inward. We begin wringing our hands. We think, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to solve this? What change am I going to have to make? Where am I going to go? What, what relationship am I going to have to change? What job am I going to have to change? What's this? What's that? Jesus, or Peter, calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me. You know, Peter may have dropped his shield for a moment, but when the chips were down, Peter had presence enough of mind to keep his helmet in place, to hang on this ultimate victory that says, Jesus, save me. You might find yourself in the same position. You might realize if you look upon your life and you reflect upon your mind, your heart, that your shield has been dropped, that you are sinking in the waves. You, life looks good, tomorrow looks rosy, but we're sinking in the waves. And Peter says, Jesus, you got to save me from this. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is in the habit of saving his children. You look at your mind, your heart, your anger, your frustrations, fears, your sadness. You look for your meaning and your purpose and your hope. You look for certainty and eternal life. And all that comes through Jesus saved me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? We know why. We know why. It's the same reason, uh, you know, Peter denied Jesus on the night of his, uh, his uh, arrest. Same thing that's happening here in the, in the lake, in the Sea of Galilee. He's scared. He's scared. He's not an evil man, but he's scared. He was looking at the lake instead of the Lord. I don't want to focus on that, though. This, that, that, that whole line there, I don't want to focus on you, little faith, why did you doubt? We know why he doubted. I want to focus on a different part of the verse. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. See, we do focus on you of little faith. Why did you doubt? What we need to focus on is, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Yeah, we make mistakes. Look, I'm not saying that the mistakes that we make are excusable. I'm not saying they're okay or that we don't have to think about them or care about them. But one of the things we need to remember is that when we call out for this helmet, when we call out for this salvation, when we call out for this rescue, again, we're not talking about the flesh, are we? We're not talking about the flesh. We're talking about Satan's battlefield, right? The heart. We call out for this immediately. What does Jesus do? He reaches out and he saves. He protects. He keeps. It might be difficult. It might still be a battle to go through. But Jesus never once tells Peter, hey, you better learn how to swim or you're never going to make it. He reaches out and he caught him. Finally, verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Why now? This has bugged me from when I was three years old. Why now? 
why didn't Jesus calm the waves before Peter stepped out of the boat? Why, why doesn't he calm the waves in your life when he wants you to step out on faith? We know he's going to. We know the whole surface of the lake is going to look like glass. I mean, shoot, at that point, I'd go out and walk on it. Why does he wait until they're back in the boat to calm the waves? You know the answer to that, right? He wants this faith shown. He wants this trust tested in your life so that it could be stronger. So that in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the difficulty, in the hardship, in the trouble, in the bad days of life, we can trust what Jesus says. We can trust who Jesus is. In the hardest days, we can revert back to the Word of God to guide us through the different decisions and the wisdom that we need to have in order to see it through. There wasn't any chance Jesus was going to calm those waves when Peter said, I want to come out to you. Not a chance he was going to calm that sea before Peter got out of the boat. You know why? Because Jesus loves Peter. He cares about Peter. He wants what's good for Peter. And so he's going to keep that wind going. And he's going to keep those waves choppy. Because he wants him to step out with that armor and know just how strong his faith and his trust can be. He also wants Peter to know where it needs to be maintained. Where it needs to be polished. Where it needs to be strengthened. And the same thing is true in your life and in my life. He's not going to calm the sea. He's not going to make it easy. He's going to make you strong. And he's going to be there the whole time when you say, Jesus, save me. That's what it means to be clothed in armor. Not to find the easy battles, but to find victory in the midst of the storm. That's what knights do. That's what these soldiers do. I don't know if everybody has accepted the truth of Jesus in here. You need to. Again, it's a subject that means everything or nothing. And if it's just a little bit true, then it's all true. And if you've accepted, haven't accepted Jesus, I want you to accept Jesus today. I want, I want you to believe in this. I want you to be baptized today. Look, I realize that this is covered, but that's not. We can use it for some actual good things out there. I've baptized a lot of people out there. You want to get baptized today? Today's the day. But more than any of that, again, we're not done with this series. We're going to finish this on August 1st with the sword of the Spirit. But I want you to understand that the rough spots, the hard spots, the choppy spots, the waves and the wind, that's not Jesus saying, I hate you. That's Jesus treating you the same way he treats Peter. All right, gear up, put your armor on. And let's step out onto these waves together. We need this armor. We need to maintain it. It's this type of armor that protects us, not from the physical fights, but from the fights that really matter. I'm going to thank God for our time, and then we're going to have... Uh, I, got, I, got, I think I got overruled. I'm not allowed playing the song anymore, right? We're going to have it on the screen. Okay, that's cool. Um, who was it that said when West stepped down, somebody said uh, good or finally or somebody? I don't know what it was. We all laughed about it. It was pretty funny. 
Uh, I'm thinking the same thing every time I step down. So we're going we're gonna to listen to this video uh, when we get done. You guys can sing along. But let's thank Jesus for our time. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we get to trust Jesus. We thank you that our armor gets to be strengthened. We thank you, Father, for the love that we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to maintain it. Even Jesus maintains his armor. Father, help us to maintain ours. To know that when the, the waves come and the wind comes, that our, our armor is going to be strong, Father. Help us to keep that faith and to keep that salvation, this, this, this complete belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you stand and sing? You got this. Oh, one change on this. We use righteousness. They use justice. Justice is an aspect of righteousness, so we use righteousness because we wanted to be correct. Uh, so they'll use justice. That's all right. You got it queued up? All right, here we go. Why don't you stand and sing? <laughs> 